Well, hello, and welcome back to the Walk as Jesus Walked podcast series. In today's message, we're going to focus on God's new covenant. It's faith-based, and it's established through Jesus. And it was foretold by Jeremiah. Jeremiah, around 626 BC, prophesied, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah. Not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke over and over again, even though I was a husband to them. But this is the new covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and inscribe it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33. Now we know that this new covenant is different. It's not the old covenant. The old covenant was established with the Israelites who, when Jesus came in his earthly ministry, were commonly called the religious Jews. Uh, they had the law, uh, the prophets, and they had everything what we would consider as the Old Testament. And they would use that to try to uh, keep themselves straight with God. This was the only way that they had. This was a covenant that proved how mankind could not live a perfect life. Jesus alone could do that. And that's why he was the Lamb of God, the only sacrifice that could remove sin from all mankind. Now in Acts 13, 39, it states then, because of what Jesus did through Jesus, Everyone who believes, this is not a belief like, oh, let me go to the front of the church and pray a sinner's prayer and say, oh, God, I don't want to go to hell. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me for my sins. And then who knows what people live like after that. But they're told, okay, once saved, always saved, you're going to heaven. And they might not have any kind of relationship with Christ. But yet this is what is being taught out there commonly in the Christian religion. This is about placing a complete faith in Christ and following him, surrendering our own will in this world to follow him. This is the new covenant and justifies from everything that could not be justified by the law of Moses, which was the old covenant, which is nothing more than trying to live a life that's pleasing to God. Just as we see today, with the, the institutionalized church, with all of its local churches, you go to well, any of them that I've been to, and you'll find that they have a certain doctrine in place and what they believe. And if you follow those things, you feel pretty good about yourself. You feel like you're living a, a good Christian life. And if you prayed that prayer, well, now you're going to heaven and you're proving it because you lived a pretty good Christian life and that was pleasing to God. That has nothing to do with the new covenant. All of that is religion. All of that is basically taking the old covenant and slapping a new label on it, creating their own new covenant and calling it Christianity. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, it tells us, Now, however, Jesus has received a much more excellent ministry, not like the ministry that we see out there, but a much more an excellent ministry. Just as the covenant, which he mediates, it's not something that's found in some doctrine or made up 
um, as it is today, it is actually mediated by Jesus himself. It's his new covenant. And it's better, and it is founded on better promises. For if the first covenant had been without fault, no place would have been sought for a second. And so by speaking of a new covenant, it says in Hebrews 8.13, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. We don't need to follow all of these man-made notions that this is how you become good and pleasing in God's eyes. We want to live under the, the true new covenant. Now in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, you read that Mark wrote, Now John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees were often fasting, which of course was proper. It was according to the old covenant. So people came to Jesus and they asked, hey, Jesus, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and those of the Pharisees? And once again, this is a common practice of the Old Covenant. And Jesus replied like this, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? Speaking of the New Covenant, as long as he is with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and they will fast. Now, I know it's of no coincidence here that what Jeremiah prophesied was that the husband of Israel was the Lord. And now we hear the bridegroom, soon-to-be husband of his bride, which is the church, which are all those who are under the new covenant, and Jesus proclaims that he is the bridegroom, and we are his guests. And so he doesn't stop there. He continues in his analogy to even more deeply define it. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth. So this is a brand new patch of cloth that's never been used. And you don't take that and sew it on an old garment. So no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth, symbolizing the new covenant, on an old garment, garment, symbolizing the old covenant. You just don't do that. Because he says if he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, and a worse tear will result. And so you just don't do that. He didn't create uh, um, what we call a hinge on, where you take uh, his new covenant and just hinge it on the old co covenant. He fulfilled. He, he made it obsolete, the old covenant. and in essence, created a whole new way of life that is acceptable unto God. He didn't stop there. He continued. He said, and no one pours new wine, which are the new covenant ways, a way of life that's different under Jesus, into old wineskins, which is a symbol of the old covenant ways. If he does, the wine, which is the new, will burst the skins which is the old, same as the new piece of cloth sewn onto the old garment. But then he goes on to say that both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. Well, this is what happens when you create your own new covenant and, and latch it on, kind of hinge it onto the old covenant, and then put new labels on it and rewrite the doctrine so that now it's acceptable and people can follow those rules. They no longer are going to have to follow the ones that were established for the Jews. 
But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, instead, new wine, which in this case is the new covenant, is poured into new wineskins, which is a whole new way of living, something completely new. In 2 Corinthians 3.6, it says, and he has qualified us as ministers of the new covenant, us being those who are in Christ, those who have been born again and placed into his body, not of the letter, which is the written law, doctrines, teachings, all of those things, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Second Corinthians 3, 17 and 2, 18, it tells us now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, freedom from the law, freedom to follow Christ the way he leads us. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in his image with intensifying glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So in other words, this is what makes us Christ-like, not calling ourselves a Christian and following some doctrines or some denomination, but for us to follow the Spirit which is the Lord, follow him, and he will teach us to walk as he walked. Now, while speaking with a woman at the well, Jesus stopped there to get something to drink, and they had this discussion back and forth, and Jesus said, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Sure enough, Jesus came from the Jews. A time is coming, Jesus said. So he said, stop. New message. A time is coming and has now come the new covenant when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is the spirit and the truth. And he offers that life. Well, the Father, goes on to say, well, the Father is seeking such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's in John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. Now, Paul wrote in Romans 3:28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith. That's the new covenant. Apart from the works of the law, that's the old covenant. So let's look at that for a second. We, in this world today, under the new covenant, are only able to be justified by faith. And apart from the works of the law. You know, I'm not talking about the things that Christ does through our lives that produce the fruit that the Spirit produces, because those are the deeds that are done by the Holy Spirit through us. I'm talking about people living a good life, following rules, which is similar to the work of the law, which was part of the old covenant. In Romans 7, 6, Paul wrote, but now having died to what bound us, which is sin, we have been released from the law. 
No more do we have to follow the law. Then what do we follow? We follow Jesus so that we serve, Paul wrote, in the new way of the Spirit. He wrote that. We don't follow in the religious ways that you're finding today, but you will serve in a new way, the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. All we have is the code has been rewritten, and people are following that new code. But that's not what Jesus called it. That's not the new covenant. The new covenant is that we serve in a new way, the way of the Spirit. In Romans 3, 19 through 20, Paul writes, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be justified in his sights by works of the law. No one will be justified by the works of the law. For the law, what does it do? It merely brings an awareness of sin. In Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. This is why the ancients were commended. Well, who are the ancients? There are many of them, uh, but we'll start with Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in godly fear, built an ark to save his family. Not to try to look good in God's eyes or to please him. He built it because of godly fear. God told me to, I'm building it. And by faith, he condemned the whole world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So he was practicing already well beforehand what the new covenant is. So therefore, the new covenant is based on faith but not faith alone. One's faith will always be accompanied by the power of the Spirit, and that's displayed through deeds accomplished by the Lord by all those who follow him. So if you are following the Lord and you have the power of the Spirit, God's going to work through your life, work miracles, work wonders, and whatever he's doing through your life, those are the deeds of the Lord. Those, without those, then we won't be able to produce what we call the fruit. If we don't see the fruit, then we wonder if one even has the Spirit. Now, many would argue that this means that we need to do the good work to please God. We have to work in order to please God. That's not true. The works of the law are not the same as the deeds that are done by the Lord to those who are in Christ. But know that faith will be followed by that work. The deeds, they're evidence of the spiritual fruit, as I stated, produced by the Spirit, and they're essential in the lives of his followers. James wrote, O foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is worthless? Was not our father Abraham justified by what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith was at work, was working with his actions, and his faith was perfected by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. 
as you can see, a man is justified by his deeds and not by faith alone. So if we say, if we hear somebody say, I believe there is no fruit, then we we must wonder if that person, what does he believe? Is he really truly believing in Christ? Because otherwise there would be the Spirit of God living in him producing fruit. So Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 through 9, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish after starting in the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish in the flesh? We can see many people now who actually had a spiritual encounter and Jesus called them and they responded. And maybe they were even chosen, and then all of a sudden they disbanded that, and they went off living a Christian religious life. Um, let me go to church every Sunday and read my Bible and, and get water baptized and all those things that anyone can do. You don't have to be a Christian in the sense of a born-again believer to do that. Anyone can do that. But now you can call yourself that, and yet you don't have to produce anything. And that's what Paul's talking to these folks in Galatia after starting in the spirit, you now finishing in the flesh? Have you suffered so much for nothing? Is it really for nothing? Does God lavish his spirit on you and work miracles among you because you practice the law or because you hear and believe? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are sons of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, the non-Jew, by faith, the new covenant. And for a told gospel to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith, blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Thus, if we live by faith, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is unseen is temporary, but what is or what is seen, what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen, the things we can't see, are eternal. Second Corinthians five seven describes it like this: the true disciples of Christ, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You don't have to prove it to me. You don't have to grab your Bible and try to prove to me this or that. There's no apologetics. You either follow the Spirit of God, you're following Jesus, or you're not. You can follow the many other things. Jesus said the, the broad path that leads to destruction is great, and many will take it. Only a few will find the narrow gate. That's the new covenant. So let us hold resolutely to the hope we profess, it says in Hebrews 10, 23-25. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. To love and good deeds. Love are, are your two commandments. You're loving God first and you're loving all others and good deeds. Let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And what's ironic is that Many people think this means uh, pastors teach it. If you don't come to church, you're letting down everybody. You know, you do not neglect meeting together as some have made it a habit. Well, this means that we're meeting with other people who are actually in the body of Christ. The few who are following Jesus 
you know, going and gathering with the many, we're actually following so many other things. But if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he will guide you to others who are also doing the same and putting him first and following him. So in Hebrews 10, 35 through 39, it says, so do not throw away your confidence. It holds a great reward. You need to persevere so that after you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And after we have done the will of God, not following our doctrine, not being a good Christian, but done the will of God, only then will you receive what he promised. For in just a little while, he is coming and will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, we'll take no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. Because remember, anyone who doesn't continue to follow Jesus shrinks back. And if they shrink back, they will be destroyed because they, they have no pleasure in God's eye. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls, that's who we want to be counted with. Thus, in closing, we must live by faith, in spirit, and in truth. And this is the new covenant established by the Lord. We should not simply live as those who claim Christ, but continue to seek to leave God through work. Only then, if we put him first and live according to the new covenant, only then will we begin to understand how to walk as Jesus walked.